This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Snowbirds who are going to stay home are changing their minds and heading south because they can get vaccinated. And the continued carnage in long-term care is highlighting the importance of getting home care right. I'll talk with award-winning health columnist Andre Picard. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The top 80 over 80 list is out, created more than a decade ago as a response to the obsession with the early achiever lists like 30 under 30 and 40 under 40. This year's list of top influential American octogenarians, nonagenarians, and centenarians comes at a time when the U.S. has just elected its oldest president ever in Joe Biden, who will turn 80 before the midpoint of his term. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, who turned 80 this year, made number two on the top 80 list. At number one, America's top immunologist is 80-year-old Dr. Anthony Fauci. Also among the top 20, 89-year-old billionaire Rupert Murdoch, 83-year-old actor and activist Jane Fonda, and 87-year-old country singer Willie Nelson. The oldest to make the list... 105-year-olds Carmen Herrera, an abstract artist and athlete, Ida Keeling. Long-awaited changes to Canada's drug pricing scheme are being pushed back another six months to July 1st. A Health Canada spokesman says the delay is intended to give pharmaceutical manufacturers more time to adjust to new reporting requirements while dealing with the challenges posed by the pandemic. Drug manufacturers and patient advocates have raised concerns that the regulations could stifle scientific innovation and reduce access to therapies for rare diseases. Elon Musk edged past Amazon founder Jeff Bezos to grab the title of the world's richest person, according to Bloomberg. A 6% rise in Tesla shares early Thursday lifted the value of its 49-year-old CEO's stock holdings and options by $10 billion, taking his net worth to about $191 billion. His 72-year-old mother, Mae Musk, is famous in her own right as a dietitian and model who has graced the cover of Zoomer magazine. When life is good. Dolly Parton has been named Artist of the Year for 2020. The 74-year-old legend last year released a Christmas album, a Christmas special, wrote an entire musical, a book about songwriting, and donated a million dollars to COVID-19 research that was used to fund Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine. 
Legendary fashion designer Diane von Furstenberg marked her 74th birthday with an Instagram swimsuit selfie that went viral. Von Furstenberg, who turned 74 on New Year's Eve, posted the shot of herself in a green one-piece bathing suit last Sunday with the caption, Am I crazy to post this? Own your age. It's proof that you have lived. Love to everyone. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. We've been very clear. No one should be vacationing abroad right now. But if you still decide to travel at your own risk, you will need to show a negative COVID-19 test before you return, and you must self-isolate for two weeks when you get back. That's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau delivering a blunt message for Canadians wanting to head south. If you get stuck in the U.S. or elsewhere, Canada won't help you get home. But a growing number of Zoomers are ignoring his advice now that they can get vaccinations in Florida. Travel insurance broker Marty Firestone's phone has been ringing off the hook with snowbirds changing their minds about making the trip. But a week and a half ago, an article appeared maybe in the Sun Sentinel, and it basically said that Canadian snowbirds would have access to vaccines. And like clockwork, the phone started ringing, and I had people saying I need insurance from this date to that date. And, you know, I, I kind of gone on record saying I'm not a fan of traveling right now, even though I, I'm in the business. And I said, what's, what's the decision? You didn't want to go in November. And they go, our friends are all calling us that they've got appointments set up. They've gone for vaccines. And they're saying, you know what, come down and get it because you're not going to see it in Canada till the summertime. On the other hand, uh, we, we're looking at some of these lineups there, and they're quite incredible. Do you know what, Libby? The strange part is I've, I've spoken to about 10 or 20 of my clients already. They're not experiencing that. Now, there's two things that are happening. You can go online to Broward County and book an appointment. Not quite sure how that one all works out when you ultimately get down there. But a group of my snowbirds who are part of retirement communities are actually contacted via email initially and then a Zoom call. And there is allotments of vaccines available to them because they are residents of that community. And they were just slotted into a time and they walked right into a recreation center and they got the vaccine. Absolutely no problems at all. Those are people who are part of retirement communities. Uh, Now, is there a requirement that you have to own property or anything? Three or four individuals who are clients said they were from Palm Beach area, but ended up getting in on the on the Broward line and walked in there. And there was zero question of uh, being a resident or a, a landowner a condo owner or anything, all they asked to look at was the passport to confirm the age of being over 65, and that was it. Wow. Where it's getting a little off track is there are individuals now who are believing that they should arrange a flight, head down there, get the vaccine, stay for three weeks, get the second shot, and then get back out again and back to Canada. I don't think that was the intent of what he had hoped when he kind of opened it up to everybody, but it is how it is being looked at. Is Florida somehow keeping track of people to make sure they stay for the three weeks? 
I, they aren't, but who, who who wouldn't when you think about it? Because really, only getting one injection is not the answer. That supposedly takes you to sixty percent of the uh, of the strength, and you definitely need the second injection. So I suspect that's very normal. I was told by the people today when they got the shot, they were then given the appointment for the following shot, depending if it's Pfizer, Moderna, either three weeks or four weeks, and they've got a time slot and everything, and they will be back there. So no, there is no control, and I don't know what the certification looks like that you got it. And and it really doesn't matter because coming back into Canada, it's not like it's going to avoid the 14-day quarantine. And now, of course, we have that negative COVID scenario that's happening. And it's just a fluid, fluid situation at this point. Do you have any sense of how many people are planning to do that? I suspect there will be thousands that will ultimately head down as we see that nothing is moving here in Ontario right now and that no matter what they say, we are still, I, I say we, I'm 66, I suspect summertime is the earliest that we will have an opportunity to get it. So when you've got your friends who are down there and saying, you know, by January 23rd, I'm going to be fully 100% immunized and, you know, COVID free or anything like that, it's kind of a, a tempting offer if, if in fact you want to take the chance and go down. What are the dangers of going down there in your opinion? Few of the insurance companies, while I don't have all the answers yet, a few of them have suggested that an adverse reaction to the COVID vaccine will not be covered as part of your policy because it was an elective decision. The biggest danger I see right now is having an issue like you could any other year, not COVID related, and that's why you buy travel insurance, heart, stroke, slip and fall, break your hip. The fear there is the hospital that you used to go to that you always raved about was, whoa, isn't this wonderful, that you were admitted immediately, that you were operated on immediately, that your insurance company could then fly you back home if, in fact, that was part of the agreement. All that's by the wayside now. That hospital will be overfilled probably with COVID patients, ICUs, intensive cares, and you just may not get looked after like you're used to getting looked after. And with time and risk comes the possibility of something getting a lot more serious that maybe wasn't right at the beginning. What would you like to leave us with? What's what's the bottom line on all the of this? The bottom line, the ones who I'm really advising who are going down strictly for the virus right now for just the three-week period, I would highly say that they should take a pass on that because that isn't the reason to do it. But again, like the 30% that went when I was still saying not to go, there'll be a whole bunch that go this time. Marty Firestone, thank you so much for this. Thank you for having me. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was travel insurance broker Marty Firestone. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, as the death toll in long-term care keeps climbing, advocates are calling on government to reimagine home care. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. If there's anything we're learning from the pandemic, it's the urgent need to reform home care so that most of us can age in place and stay out of nursing homes. I talked to Andre Picard, the Globe and Mail's award-winning health columnist, when he was part of a panel on a special edition of The Zoomer on our sister station, Vision TV. I think it's really shone this giant spotlight on how we neglect our elders. 
Uh, you know, and it's not just home care, you know, lack of home care. It's not just inf bad infection control in homes. It's lack of uh, subsidized housing. It's ageism in our public policies. So it's really, I think, exposed this quite ugly underbelly of how we treat elders or seniors in society. There's been a lot of hand-wringing about that, a lot of lip service. What do you make of it? I mean, we have, you know, various ministers in various provinces beating their breasts and saying they will leave no stone unturned, they will do everything. And then we turn around and see that uh, everything and maybe anything was not done. Well, unfortunately, we've heard these promises for decades now, right? And what did we get out of these promises? We got a system that was, in fact, this perfect storm for people to get sick and die. So what happened in our long-term care homes was entirely predictable. We created these homes where we put people in a setting, living close together, poor infection control, understaffing, everything, all the elements were there for a virus to take advantage of, and that's why we have this carnage. So it's not enough to just say, as we've done, I don't know how many dozens of reports have been done over the years, but we've done it over and over again. It's not enough to just say we're going to fix it. You actually have to do it at some point. What do you see as the main obstacles? Well, I think the main obstacle, sadly, is we just don't value the lives of, of older people. Uh, that's why we have these policies that have them living in these shameful conditions. That's why uh, we still hear, I still hear every day people say to me, yeah, lots of people died, but they're just they're old people. They were going to die anyhow. That, to me, is just a shameful thing to say, but it's said openly. It's the, it's the only ageism that we can still speak out loud is, is ageism. The discriminations, that is absolutely true. There's also a lot of squabbling among the various levels of government over this. The federal government says one thing. They say we'll try to bring in national standards, at least for long-term care. And then we see some of the provinces really, really complaining, get out of my lane. How big a problem is that? Well, it is a problem. It's a, it's a political problem. There's a lot of posturing. And the solution is pretty simple. The provinces want money from Ottawa. And Ottawa just has to have a backbone and say, sure, we'll give you money, but here are the conditions. And if you don't meet them, you don't get any money. So that, that's the solution. It's like, you know, they have to be clear on this. And what's happened in the past is the federal government has sort of said, well, here's some money and we sort of have conditions and we're not going to follow up. And as a result, money just goes into the pot and it doesn't get spent on where it's supposed to be directed. Well, yeah, I mean, I just talked to the Minister for Seniors last week and she said, well, all of this money is earmarked. Uh, they have to show that they're spending it the right way. But somehow that doesn't quite seem to happen. Well, it's earmarked, but there's never any follow-up. There's no consequences if you don't spend it there. So, you know, we had a big, in 2004, there was a big influx of money. A part of that was supposed to go to home care. It did, but it went in the wrong way. It went to be an extension of hospital spending for short-term home care needs. None of it went to keeping people seniors in their homes. So you have to be clear what you mean when you say home care. So that's part of it. They have to not only have standards, they not only have to put strings, but they have to have the right strings attached to the money. Is it a problem? All of these services are siloed. I mean, it, it's money either goes to beds or it goes to this or, or to that. When we keep hearing that what we need is a holistic continuum of care. Well, we have to ask ourselves in the first place, why isn't home care, why isn't long-term care, why isn't seniors housing part of our home of our healthcare system now? 
right? So why is this all pieced off? So I think it one of the solutions is to bring it all together under the control of, of one ministry, sort of a ministry of elders or something. Because right now it's different ministers who are responsible for the long-term care homes, for seniors' residents, for home care, for housing. You don't need five different ministers working at cross-purposes. You need one uh, vision of how we're going to treat our elders. And, you know, you have to have a policy that says, like a country like Denmark. I think Denmark probably has the best elder care in the world. And why? Because they have a very simply stated policy. Our priority is to keep all our elders safe and happy in the community. That's our priority. Everything else is secondary. You only go into a home as a very last resort if you absolutely need that. And that's the kind of philosophy you have to have to behind your policies. In your opinion, uh, is a good result of the pandemic going to be that this is dealt with? Or do you think that uh, we'll just forget after it passes and same old, same old? Well, I like to hope against hope that this is finally going to be the one that that sends us, forces us to do something. And I hope we don't respond to it with just half measures, just like, oh, let's build more beds. I think we really have to do a fundamental rethink. And I think the public's ready for it. I think seniors are a really important voting block. And I think they have to speak up now and say, this time, this is it. You're going to fix it once and for all. Andre Picard, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Andre Picard of The Globe and Mail. You can watch the special home care edition of The Zoomer Monday, January 11th at 11 p.m. on Vision TV, Channel 60 on Rogers, 261 on Bell Satellite TV. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of The Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer, Worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.